But again, as I said, I'm going to share from the Word with you. And I have the my initial verse up on the screen. But how many of you can quote this verse? Anybody? Acts 1.8. It's a very famous passage of Scripture, especially in Pentecostal church circles. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. If you saw that beginning picture, you saw a picture of a crooked road. I I believe uh, Google's led me on a lot of roads like that here in Alabama (laughs) in the last nine months as I've been traveling and speaking various places. But the verse we just read is... It really is the theme verse for the whole book of Acts because those were Jesus' words to the disciples before he ascended into heaven. And he gave his believers the, his mission. And it, it's just amazing that God would come and be among us, but his greatest work was to die on the cross for each one of us that we might be free from sin and learn to live for him. We don't live for ourselves, we live for him. And then God gives us a purpose and a meaning for living. And he gives us his mission. And it's the best journey that you can ever take. In this verse, you can see the plan for the journey. The first part, it says, you will receive power. You know, when you, before you take a trip, if you're going to really go on a really great trip, you make preparations. And Jesus knew that before we'd ever carry out his mission, we would need to be prepared and that he would travel with us. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power you see highlighted in red, we, we get the word dynamite from the original Greek word dunamis. Have you ever seen anything blown up with dynamite? That thing is no longer the same. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you're no longer the same. He changes you from the inside out, and he continues to work with us to prepare us and to use us. Amen? And also the word that's used for the Holy Spirit, and this, this is so important. Sometimes we think of the Holy Spirit being a force or something impersonal, but the word that was used here is pneuma, and it means breath. That signifies that the Holy Spirit is a personal and real. The Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts, can be, it can be shown that the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit can forbid, prohibit, raise up church leaders can be lied to, can be tested, even quenched. Those are personal interactions. So remember, the Holy Spirit is real, not a force. He's not an it, he, or we say he, but Holy Spirit is personal. And the Holy Spirit empowers us with dynamite power. And it's so important that we have God's presence to carry out the next part of his mission for us. And he's, what is the mission? The second part says you will be what? Witnesses. Anybody ever served on jury duty or, or even watched court dramas? <laughs> the witnesses are the ones who tell what they've seen, what they've heard, and what they've experienced. And they're supposed to say, so help me God. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> no one can argue with your testimony about what God has done in your life. People may try to argue about how you interpret the scriptures or what you believe, but when you give your testimony, nobody can argue with that. That's what God has done. I've heard some wonderful testimonies here this morning. Keep on telling those testimonies and being his witness, not just here, but outside these walls this coming week. Amen? But Jesus also gives an itinerary where we take our testimonies to be witnesses. First in Jerusalem, that is where we are, our starting point. 
and then the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Those are all the places on the earth where the gospel has yet to go. So if we look at God's mission as a journey, we can see that God's is that God's presence is our ultimate travel companion. Anybody like to travel by themselves? I have to do a lot of it, but Google goes with me and tells me how to get to places. But the Holy Spirit, I have some wonderful prayer times in my car. So, you know, we're not alone. Amen? But again, keeping this verse, Acts 1-8, in mind, I'm going to take you through the whole book of Acts in the next 10 minutes. So put on your seatbelt for a fast ride. I, uh, last November, I was spoken at a church, and I said that, and everybody started laughing. I just thought they didn't believe it. I found out later the pastor had started the beginning of the year in the book of Acts, and they were only on chapter 12. <laughs> I'm going to do it in 10 minutes. I'm only, if you can go to the next screen, it's got the, these are the key points of the book of Acts that shows how, if we look at mission as a journey, it'll help you understand the whole book of Acts. So first of all, when we come to chapter 2, especially verses 1 through 4, what happened on the day of Pentecost? The believers who had been gathered together, praying and seeking God together, were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. The whole, they were empowered from on high. I love the fact that it says they heard what sounded like wind and they saw what looked like flames. Those were natural things that came from a supernatural God. The supernatural God entered our natural world and birthed the church on the day of Pentecost. We're all here benefits, benefiters of that blessing of that day, amen? But that baptism was not just so they could feel good or feel the presence of God only. Because Peter, the one who had denied Jesus three times, now stands up boldly and preaches a gospel message and 3,000 people respond that day and are added to the church. Don't we long for that? See, thousands and millions to respond to the gospel. And it is happening around the world. We just don't see it happen all in one place at one time. But every day, every I think it's every eight minutes, a believer comes into the family of God. Praise the Lord. You know, it's really easy. We can get comfortable in the church. That's what happened here in Jerusalem. I understand that the disciples, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem for about 20 years. But remember, God had a much bigger plan. What did it take for the church to move out of Jerusalem? Persecution. And we're hearing more about that in recent news. It's actually, in the last 100 years or so, more people or Christians have died for the gospel than any other time in human history. And I read an article in December that they say that every day, eight believers give their life for their faith. Right now, that's how... that's it. Enemy knows his time is short, but we know that our final destination is not here on earth. We have, we have a greater inheritance waiting for us in heaven. And God says, blessed are those who endure to the end, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Yes? Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let me get that verse right. There's blessing. There's blessing. It says in Acts chapter 8, Verse 1 says, all after because of persecution, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. What the enemy has meant for harm, God is now turning for good. He's got them on track back to spread this mission, this gospel message. It's interesting, Philip, he was not one of the 12 apostles, but he was one of the seven deacons, a man who was serving in the church, was led to Samaria, and we learned that he held revival services. People were being saved and healed. 
but then God sends him out into a desert. You know, the Holy Spirit can lead us in some dry places, but he has a purpose for it. Because while he was there, he met an Ethiopian official who was reading the book of Isaiah about the suffering servant. And he says, who is this talking about? And from there, Philip witnessed Jesus to him, led him to become a believer, baptized him in water. And it's believed, according to history, this Ethiopian took the gospel message for the first time into the African continent, Ethiopia. So you and I see the spread of the gospel as people are obedient. Then we come to Acts chapter 9. And the very man who had instigated, instigated the, the worst persecution, Saul, and in the NIV version it says, as he was on his journey, God interrupted that journey. <laughs> he experienced the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was called to be a witness to it even says that God called him to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles, not to just to Jewish believers or Jews, but to Gentiles, that is, everybody else in the world, <laughs> They're to their kings and to stand before the people of Israel and to even suffer for the name of Jesus. And it's in verse 18 that Luke writes that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And after his conversion, verse 31, it says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. God saves persecutors. <laughs> the church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. We don't have the record of that, but I believe the church was praying for their persecutors. Jesus had said back in the Sermon on the Mount to pray for those who persecute you. That's how we can stay grounded and rooted in him when it seems like everybody's opposing us. Amen? Then we come to Acts chapter 10. And here's a, instead of focusing on all the disciples, Luke, the writer of Acts, focuses only on Peter. Remember, he had preached and saw 3,000 come to the Lord in one, time, one, one service. But you know, God still works on us. Peter still had very deeply embedded Jewish prejudice against non-Jewish people. In fact, Jewish people would not go into a Gentile person's home. That's how deep the... the that tradition was in him, but God gave him a vision using food of all things <laughs> to get his attention and helped him to overcome that prejudice. And God's timing is just amazing because as he was experiencing the vision, he finally understood after three times, Gentiles showed up at his house where he was staying, and then he goes, oh, I'm supposed to go with these people. He goes and enters a Gentile's home, Cornelius, a Roman soldier's home, whose family's all gathered to hear what this Jewish believer is going to talk about. And verses 44 through 46 just amaze me. While Peter was still speaking these words, it's not even a message, he's just kind of just talking. The Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. For even though Jesus had told them that this would happen, they're now beginning to understand what Jesus meant by those words. This baptism of the Holy Spirit is for all who believe. Amen? Now, I'm about to speed up even faster, so get ready. <laughs> Acts chapters 13 through 28 or what we call the missionary journey section of this book. A Pentecostal Bible scholar by the name of Peter Stronstad noted that before Luke wrote about the missions journey, he always talked about the role of the Holy Spirit. 
So the first one we see in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, we see that the Holy Spirit initiates this first mission to journey. Let's read it. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit said this as they were joined together in prayer and fasting. Anybody like to fast? No, we like breakfast. <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> That's what it literally means, break the fast. We've been sleeping, we've been fasting, now we break it when we wake up in the morning. Did you know that? <laughs> Never thought about it. But as they were worshiping, the Holy Spirit spoke. You know, sometimes we need to fast and pray so we can better hear the Holy Spirit. I urge you, let God use that, call you to that. Until this time, there had been no deliberate mission strategy to reach the ends of the earth. But now the Holy Spirit's initiating it. And if you read the rest of chapter 13 and 14 and part of 15, you'll see how they travel. Paul, and he's, well, he becomes known as Paul on this first missionary journey. I'd like to think he found his true identity as he's stepping out in his true calling. In fact, when it comes to a particular verse, as they're sharing the gospel with a government official, a Jewish sorcerer is creating problems. But it says Paul, his name changes from Saul to Paul. And it says the next part, filled with the Spirit, he confronted the opposition of the enemy. He didn't see the man as the opposition. He saw Satan as being behind it. And as he rebuked and confronted that and said, you're going to go blind for a season, the government official didn't just hear the message, but he saw the power that backed it up. And he says he believed. Don't we long for that? Don't we long for that? As we learn to step out and share with someone, not just words, but we ask the Holy Spirit to demonstrate, whether it be healing, whether it be a word of knowledge, whatever God wants to do, God gift us so we can do the work of his mission. Amen? I'm going to skip a little bit faster, but going to Acts chapter 16, verses 6 through 9. Here, the focus on the Holy Spirit giving guidance. Anybody need guidance? <laughs> I need God's guidance every day, every moment. We need, it, we need him. In this missionary journey, in verses 6 through 9, it says they wanted to go into minor Asia, but it says the Holy Spirit prevented them. And as a missionary, I wonder if it was visa problems. <laughs> that happens a lot more than you know. I don't know how, how the Holy Spirit spoke to them, but instead the Holy Spirit directed them to, through a vision that Paul received in the night of a man of Macedonia. By the way, that's in Europe. Again, the Holy Spirit's initiating now, go west, go toward Europe. And while they were Macedonia, God just led them to encounter a variety of people. I'm just, chapter 16 fascinates me, but it's such a variety of people. First of all, they meet a rich businesswoman who sold purple uh, garments. That was the, she was rich because you only sold purple to the rich people. But as they ministered to her, it says she became a believer, and then it says they baptized her and her household. Not just her, not just an individual, but a family, because they all came to believe. That's important. And I've already heard many testimonies how God is working in your families. Amen? God is interested in our families. He is. And then we read about this slave girl who had the fortune-telling spirit. And it says, one version says, Paul was so agitated by her following them. And he, even though she was declaring truth, he knew something was not right about this girl. <laughs> As he rebukes and 
cast out that devil, you would think her owners would have been happy. But no, they had just lost their job, their income, their source of income. People don't like it when you mess with their economics <laughs> or their paycheck. What do they do? They take them to the jail, have them beaten and thrown into prison. You know, sometimes God calls us to do something and it seems like we run into difficulty. It's easy to, we can, we have a choice. We can complain. Well, God, I thought you wanted me to do this. Well, we can choose to praise God because he's always good. In fact, they chose to worship God in that prison to a, literally a captive audience of other prisoners. And as they worshiped and sang their praises out loud to God, they didn't do it quietly, but as they worshiped God, an earthquake was used of God to break open the prison doors and to set the captives free. And the jailer, thinking they're all about to escape, comes running in about to commit suicide because he thinks, I mean, he would be, he would have to die if he'd lost his prisoners. But Paul calls out and says, we're all here. And of all the, the questions that jailer could have asked, I, I want to hear his story someday. How did he know to ask, what must I do to be saved? How did he know to ask that question? But that's an important question. And their reply is also very important. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Again, there's that about that how God wants to save households. He wants to save families. Amen. And then we come to their, the, they continued their journey throughout various cities. And Paul even got to speak to Greek philosophers. I like to say he probably got to speak to college professors. It would be the equivalent. <laughs> and God knows we need some people to stand up and speak to some college professors today. Amen. They're lost too. We don't have to be intimidated. I do get to work with and even meet college professors doing campus ministry. And I just keep praying, God, give us courage to speak as the church, to not be intimidated by highly educated people. We have the truth. We have the word of God. And people are hungry for the supernatural too. People are turning to other supernatural avenues, but we have the supernatural God on our side. Amen? Now, I'm going to go to the third missionary journey and kind of wrap this up, but chapter 19, verse 6, the focus on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Up to this point, remember, Paul had not been allowed to go toward minor Asia, but Ephesus, at this point, becomes open, and that is the capital city of where the Roman governor of minor Asia was based. So God knows the right timing for us to go where we need to go. He takes us where we, he wants us to go. And it was while he was in Ephesus, Paul met 12 men who had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it says he ministered to them by laying hands, and they all 12 were filled. How do we know? It says they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And according to tradition, it's believed these same men became the church leaders throughout Ephesus. And they were the ones that said farewell to Paul when he finished this missionary journey. In other words, the Holy Spirit gifts us to do the work of the ministry, to build his church in new places. God is, again, interested in families and communities and new places that have yet to receive the gospel. The remainder of, of Acts to the end of chapter 28, it says that Luke wrote that Paul was continued continually led by the Spirit as he went back to Jerusalem. He was arrested there, but he was still led of the Spirit. He never stopped witnessing, even when he went to Caesarea and even to Rome. In fact, the chapter 28 doesn't even sound like it ends. It just says he stayed in the house for about two years witnessing to all who came to his house. 
Does that sound like an ending to a story to you? No, because the mission is still continuing today. It's a journey. And we're all on that journey. He's, if you're a believer, you're to be a part of his mission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I'm going to kind of, I'm going to share some things about Japan, but before I do, uh, missionaries, uh, I'm going to teach you a little bit about missions. Uh, those who study the ends of the earth, if you, uh, so to speak, instead of looking at countries, we look at people groups. A people group is a group of people who identify with the same language, culture, and way of life. They've identified 17,000 people groups in the world. That's a lot of people, a lot of people groups. Can you guess how many of those are yet to be reached with the gospel? Don't even have access to the gospel. A little over 7,000. That's still a lot of people yet to be reached. And of those 7,000, Japan's the second largest. First is Bangladesh, which is a Muslim nation of people, people group. But then Japan. If we can go to this next slide. Um, there, we're there. Good. Maybe you may ask, it's easy to get in as a missionary, to get a religious visa, but once you start the ministry, you find it's difficult. In fact, Japan's sometimes been called the graveyard for missionaries because it's not an easy place to do ministry. It's the third largest economy. It's a rich nation, but it's because of the old religions, old traditions have kept people bound. There's two religions, one called Shintoism, and that is... um, the belief that everything in nature has a spirit. Oh, you've got the, the spirit of fear. Uh, yeah, spirit of fear. A spirit of the a fire, a spirit of rocks, trees. So if you've ever seen things in the back on my table, you'll see some beautiful pictures of scenery. Japanese almost worship nature. That's where that comes from. They love the beauty they see in nature, but they fail to see the creator behind the creation. When you look at a painting... We don't worship the painting. We admire it. But then we credit the painter or the creator or the artist. God is the ultimate artist, the creator, God. And so and then another religion that's there is Buddhism. We've probably heard more about that one. And in, Japanese mix Shintoism to deal with life, but Buddhism is what they use to deal with death. The living family members are, are expected to pray for a deceased family member to get into Buddhist heaven. So they believe there's a connection between the living and the dead. But in the Old Testament, we're told not to commune with the dead. It op- because we open the door to many demonic, can open the door to demonic things. And I dare say that over the years of combining this religion, it's created strongholds in the society. Uh, they do ceremonies when they, they want to build a building. Shinto priests will come on the property and pray over that land. And it reminds me of some American Indians. It's kind of very, there's some real close connections between American Indian uh, religion, Native American Indian religions, and sh- Japanese Shintoism, because there's something about nature. But since World War II, most people will tell you they don't believe those things, but it forms the basis of their worldview, and they think that's what they have to believe and follow the rituals to be Japanese. But God calls us to counter culture. As believers, we're called out of darkness. There's no perfect culture in the world, but God calls us out of the sins of our culture. He calls us out into his marvelous light, into the family of his son whom he loves. Amen? There's freedom. Aren't you glad we don't have to follow the culture? We may feel the pressures, but we don't have to follow it. We follow the king of kings. 
We follow the Lord of Lords. We follow the God of all gods, the name above all. Amen. I want to share some stories with you. If you can go to the next slide. Did you see those numbers? 126 million people and less than 1% is Christian. Less than 1%. How do we reach a nation like Japan? The number up there says 31 missionaries, but as of this year, there are now 34 Assembly of God world missionaries serving throughout Japan. We're doing a variety of things such as ministering, uh, pastoring international churches located near some of our U.S. military bases. We also have some are church planters. You know, God wants to plant his church on the ends of the earth. We also have missionaries who are doing global university trainings. Uh, we now have Japan School of Ministry. And we're not just raising up English speakers, but God is raising up Brazilian Japanese people. They're using Portuguese. And then there are lots of Filipino Christians using Tagalog, their language. God is raising up nations to reach the nation of Japan. <laughs> Praise God. The last five years, uh, I've served completely on leadership. It's a new hat, a new role I had. To, I stepped into, but it's as the business manager for our field office, and that involves keeping up with finances. And some of you may recognize some words I'm about to say, and those you don't, you can ask Pastor Mark later. <laughs> but I've helped our missionaries with Speed the Light funds so they can get their funds to go get a, their Speed the Light vehicle. And I have... Um, my Speed the Light vehicle is not four wheels, it's two wheels. I've had two of them, two Speed the Light bicycles. <laughs> I think I'm the only one in Alabama that's had that, I, that asked for that. But Speed the Light funds have also been used to uh, provide for some things in our, in our Chi Alpha Student Center in Tokyo, such as our overhead projector and also a flat screen TV. And we've been able to use those to do training seminars, uh, doing outreach events. So, you know, God provides. Just, I just want to say... By saying speed the light, I just want to say thank you if, for being involved in providing funds. You're helping to speed the light to the nation of Japan. Another was light for the lost. And this coming summer, Tokyo's going to be hosting the Olympics. Already, I think it's so crowded, I can't imagine how more people are going to join with 38 million people in Tokyo. I have no idea. But it's such for such a time as this, and having light for the lost funds, we can use those funds to provide Outreach literature to put in the hands of people that we're going to meet during the Olympics outreaches. And then also there's um, BGMC funds, and that is Boys Girls Missionary Challenge. It used to be called something else, but Missionary Challenge. And children's giving, is those funds are used for things such as we were able to upgrade our office equipment since I've been in the business office. I switched us from a Mac to a PC. <laughs> which was cheaper and saved us some money, and I know how to use that better. <laughs> but um, just really thankful for what the church does here in America to send and provide materials and resources that we need to further the gospel in Japan. And the, the picture you see on your, um, your right, that was the latest missionary field committee, our leadership committee, and... Um, quarterly we get together and discuss the business you wouldn't think missionaries have business but we do anytime you've got resources to manage and missionaries there's always going to be something to do and if you go to the next slide i want to share this is an incredible story i serve on staff with a church called tokyo urban church would you like to hear the name of that church in japanese tokyo abinchach <laughs> it's just english with a japanese accent <laughs> the the pastor is bilingual, 
And we have some other, a couple of other Assembly of God churches that use Tokyo. So we have Tokyo Metro Church, Tokyo Urban Church, as I mentioned, and then Tokyo City Church. So pretty, you can tell we're about Tokyo. I do not want to say the last one in Japanese because they don't have the C sound in their language. It'll come out with an SH sound. In Japan, it's okay, but I won't say it here in America. And the missionaries who pastor that church, if we don't say that word when we're in America, <laughs> you're, you've got good imaginations. You already know where that would go. <laughs> it's wonderful. But in particular about Tokyo Urban Church, I've been working and serving with this church for the last 11, 12 years. And the pastor really had a heart to reach young people. In fact, he joined with our Kaiafa ministry team in Tokyo and as I began to work with him, we focused on young people. You know, young people are always the most open just about any culture to the gospel. They're hungry, and they're willing to make the sacrifice to pay the cost for whatever it involves. And as now the church leadership that's there in the church over the last 12 years, they are now like the church leaders, the worship pastors. And uh, um, this picture you see up here on this side, that was our last Sunday last year, April, on Easter Sunday. We outgrew our building. If all 40 of us were together, we would literally sit shoulder to shoulder, wall to wall. It was that packed. Space is very small and expensive. But as we were praying, God, we've outgrown our facilities. We need a new place. He provided. And in May of last year, they moved into their new facility. Does that look like a church? It's a condominium. But the basement that used to be a bar is now Tokyo Urban Church. Praise God. So on Saturday nights, it's Sunday morning there, Saturday night here, I'm able to follow the services in job, on Facebook Live. And I'm already seeing faces of new people. I don't know. In fact, a week ago I was watching, who's playing the drum? I don't know who that is. Who is that? I don't know. There are new young people who are coming into the body of Christ. Praise God. And by the way, that's unusual because Jap- Japanese population is aid, tends to be aging, even the Christians. But again, I believe that Japan's on the edge of a breakthrough. Too many people have been praying for Japan. And I'm looking forward to going back May of this year to see the new people God's adding to his church, not just the Tokyo Urban Church, but other churches. God wants to reach the ends of the earth, even the people of Japan. Amen? And then lastly, I'm going to talk about Kai Alpha Japan. This picture you see, can you find the... uh, Yes, that's taken in Japan at a Mexican restaurant. (laughs) Yes, and the, my ministry team took me there for my farewell dinner and said, you've got to wear this sombrero. And I said, okay, I'm going to use this in my generation. But I'm going to kind of introduce you to the team. We're quite an international group, but going clockwise next to me is Sunan. She is Japanese. She was one of our student leaders two years ago and then graduated with her master's degree in German. <laughs> and she still, still tells me, German's easier than English. <laughs> But she, she's joined us on staff, and she really has a heart to go back. She wants to get her doctorate and go to Germany. So I'm just praying God can use that to take raise up Japanese missionaries. That's been another heart, one of my prayers. God, raise up young people to be missionaries and not just, we benefit from Hondas, Kawasaki, Suzuki. So you know all these words, Kubota. We know all these vehicles, these, these equipment around the world. But God, raise up missionaries who will take the name of Jesus around this world. Amen? And then next is Joyce Kitano. She is uh, American, 
say Japanese American, but she's my coworker. She was my missionary supervisor when I first went to Japan 20 years ago. And she's actually an MK who's also a missionary. Her parents, her mother was a single missionary from Hawaii, went to Japan, was as a church planter, met her Japanese father. They got married. Uh, Joyce was born there, but she's an American citizen. (laughs) But as um, served with her, she, I'm going to kind of go very quickly with this, but fall of 2018, she was diagnosed with two types of cancer. But she never left Japan because God provided a hospital 15 minutes from her house. She finished her treatment, and just in the last few months, I'm now seeing pictures of her not wearing a hat to cover up her. Her hair's grown back, so she's doing well, praise God. And during the time she was doing treatment, she was she said, I want to tell the students how God has given me supernatural peace and what he's doing through all this. She didn't hide from what God wanted to do through it. And then next you see TJ, or his real name, T. Juan Lao. He's originally from Malaysia, where he served as a youth pastor, but God called him to Japan. He's working with us on our team. And I think he's the first, yeah, the first Asian young man we've ever had to join our team. And then next you see Shane. He was a Kaiapa student in Washington State. Amazing thing is his campus pastors and I did our campus ministry internship together. So I feel like he's my spiritual nephew. <laughs> but he's serving on staff. And last year he got married to a Chinese girl they met in Japan, and they're both living and working in, in Japan, American and Chinese. <laughs> so we're quite an international group. Every week during the school year, we're on seven campuses every week. That's hard to imagine. <laughs> it's like doing small groups all over Tokyo, different campuses. And as we're doing that, we're building a, creating a place of community that's based and focused on Jesus. And it's a place where people can learn to worship the true God, learn to pray and to the real God. We witness and we disciple and build fellowship. There's key elements in the book of Acts chapter 2. Those principles can be applied in any cultural context. They're biblical. But as we're on campus and meeting students, it's amazing what God will do. About six years ago, if you can go to the next picture. About six years ago, our team met this young lady named Yasuko. She had uh, moved to Tokyo to study her graduate degree in social work. And we found out she had already been reading the Bible because of some other missionaries she knew back home in Nagasaki. She began to come faithfully each week to our Kaiafa meeting on her campus. When you do Bible study, you start with the Gospels. <laughs> it's got to be basic because Japanese don't have any reference in their worldview for Christianity. So we, as we went through the Gospels, and over a period of about over a year, one day, Yasuko says, I want to believe in Jesus. I, she says, not just what I've read, but what I'm experiencing with you all. She was experiencing the love of God. She was learning to trust in us, and she began to believe that what we're telling her and what she's reading is true, and she put her faith in Jesus. Two months later, she's still so hungry for more of God, she was baptized in the Holy Spirit with evidence of praying in tongues, but she stopped short at getting water baptism. She says, I'm the first Christian ever in my Buddhist family, and she says, my parents might cut me off if I get baptized in water because ritual was so important to the Japanese. So we said, let's pray for your family that God will give you favor. 
So we began to pray during the time of she's growing and being discipled. She finally graduated from college with her degree and got a job, you know, just in case her family wanted to cut her off financially. She, she could, she would be independent. She went home and told her parents, I've become a Christian. Would you give me permission to be baptized in water? They reluctantly, but they did give her permission. Praise God. But you know, God has a way of answering our prayers in bigger ways than we could ever think or imagine. In the meantime, during all this, Yasuko's younger sister, Yukino, also came to Tokyo to study. She came to study French. I don't know why, but she loved the French language. And it's one of the top universities. We didn't have a Kayafa there. But because of the relationship we had with Yasuko, Yukino quickly became our friend. And one day, after just building relationship with her, we said, Yukino, can we come on your campus and do Kayafa like we do with your older sister on her campus? And she goes, sure, and I will invite my friends. <laughs> she's not a believer yet, but she's, we could already see an evangelist spirit in her. So week by week, as we met on her campus and went through, you know, just read about the Gospels, her exact words with, were one day, I think I'm falling in love with Jesus. She said, why haven't the Japanese ever heard this message? The Holy Spirit was breaking through to her. And then one day, we just led her in simple sinner's prayer, and she received Jesus in her heart. There's a little bit more to her story. The summer of um, 2018, as we've been, we, were, we had started a summer internship program, and we host lots of Kayafa teams throughout the summer. One particular night, and what we call our Power Praise Night, it's where we invite our Japanese Christian students to come. Not our outreach event, but... It's, it's a worship service called Power Praise Night. You can imagine. There's, there's powerful praise, music going forth, Japanese and English, sometimes Chinese, because <laughs> we have some Chinese students as well. But this particular night, I think it was only the second or third time that Yukino had attended. Not, she's still kind of a brand new believer. But the guest speaker of the Kayafa team spoke that night about surrendering everything to Jesus. When he finished and asked who wanted to come forward and do that, Yukino was the first one forward. And as she stood there with her eyes closed and tears flowing down her face, she surrendered everything to Jesus. We gathered around her. Two weeks later, we found out what she believed that to mean. And these were her words. She says, I don't want anything or anyone to stop me from following Jesus. I broke up with my non-Christian boyfriend. We didn't even know she had a boyfriend. (laughs) But the Holy Spirit knew, and she knew that if she was going to love Jesus most, she, that was, she just, the Holy Spirit convicted her of that. And as she surrendered that, she saw so much freedom and joy, and she just really began to grow. Well, while we're doing this internship program, uh, 2018, for the first time, we not only had American summer interns, but we had two young ladies come from Belgium. Do you know this person up there? Okay. This is amazing. Uh, Yukino had connected with one of the girls from uh, Belgium because she was from France. They spoke French together during the summer. And Yukino explained that she had to go to France that fall for about a year to study as an exchange student. Carolyn, the girl from France who's studying in Belgium, was able to connect her with a local church in South France, one of our Assembly of God churches. And while Yukino was in France, and by the way, France has very few Christians too, like 3% or less, 
Yukino not only kept her faith, but she continued to grow. She got baptized in the Holy Spirit while she's in France. She went to the Kaiafa Conference for Europe and met this man. He's a <clears throat> now a missionary in Belgium doing campus ministry. He's originally from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. <laughs> he served on staff with me down in Mobile. <laughs> but they met at this conference and they found that they both knew me. And they sent me the picture on Facebook Messenger. God has a way of connecting us with people. And sometimes, I mean, it may take a, a, some time before we see the fruit, but be faithful and watch God connect the dots as you journey with him. I'm going to go to the next slide. I'm not going to tell this many details about these stories, but I do want to say this. God is interested in our families. Yasuko got married last November to a Japanese pastor. <laughs> Yukino is getting baptized next month, and her mother's going to attend the baptismal service. Praise God. That's three Christians in a formerly all Buddhist family. We're praying for the father and the mother and their brother. God wants to save our families. Amen? He wants to connect us with people. This last one, I don't have time to go into the details, but I really felt like in the last five years, especially in the last two years, God was allowing me to see some fruit from my 20 years being in Japan. Jane was one of our first student leaders. She was studying for her doctorate, but then God interrupted that and called her to full-time ministry. She's now pastoring one of our Japan Assembly God churches. And then next you see, um, that's not her real name, Diko. I can't give her real name because she has served with some Japanese uh, nonprofit organizations outside of Japan. She was in Liberia when the Ebola virus broke out, and she was the Japanese government spokesperson. Um, she, served, she, she has served in some places that it would be hard for Westerners to go in, but as she told me, she says, I'm so thankful I'm a Japanese with my passport. Nobody expects a Japanese to be a Christian. So I can go in places you can't go, Susan. <laughs> and she says, I want God to send me to those hard places. So just thankful for God raising her up from being a student who was very devoutly actually atheist because she was studying journalism and she was really like a reporter's mind. But as she asked the hard questions, she came to faith to G in Jesus Christ because she saw he's real. And then this last picture you see is two young men, one standing, one sitting. Mitsuru was one of our student leaders. He's now serving on staff with one of our larger Japan Assemblies God churches. And then the one sitting down is from originally from China. He's pastoring. He was one of our student leaders. He's also now pastoring one of our, well, our one and only Chinese Assembly of God Church in Tokyo. So God is raising up a generation. And I just believe there are so many more he wants to reach. And this is just the journey that God's allowed me to be a part of. It's amazing that God would allow us to partner with him. That's what missions is about, partnering with him and with his Holy Spirit. If you can go to the last slide, I've got two questions I want to ask each of you, and really let the Holy Spirit speak to you. First of all, have you joined this journey of his mission to take the gospel to everywhere you go? Have you? Sometimes we don't understand God's mission is so much broader than what we live for. God can use your job. God can use you wherever you are to reach people even here in Alabama, we're now finding, there, I just heard recently, 74% of people in Alabama don't even go to church. That's hard to take in because we're part of the Bible Belt. That means there's still a lot of people around us that need to be reached here, right here in Alabama. 
Second question I want to ask, how can you join this journey? And I want to suggest five things. First of all, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. How many of you are believing for your family members? Yes. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, sometimes God won't use us to to witness, but as we step out, what he's doing, we can pray that God will send other people, other Christians in their life. That's what happened with me. As I, I remember one time, God's calling me to ministry, but what about my family? My family was, when I was in college, my family fell apart. My parents separated after I graduated, they divorced. And I just, nobody was in church. I mean, I'd grown up in church and now nobody's in church. And I thought, well, God, you're calling me to ministry. What do I do? He says, you be faithful. And one by one, I saw God put people in my family, each of my family members' lives, and every one of them is serving God today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. So believe and receive the power of His Spirit. Receive every day, not just one-time experience, but receive every day and let Him fill you and guide you and initiate new things. And may He gift you to do things you've never done before. Amen? Receive all He has for you. And then keep on pressing in to get more. Third, we can pray. There's, you know, there's so many ways that Jesus told us to pray. One, he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. Maybe God wants to call you at some point to go somewhere else, but right now let him use you where you are. He doesn't waste any experience that you're walking through. He doesn't even waste your failures. He uses everything that happens in your life for his purposes. We're saying he makes all things work together for good to those who love him. Amen. Aren't you glad he takes even our, our failures, our past, and can use it for his purposes? Pray that the Lord will raise up workers and harvesters. And then fourth, we can give. Giving is so much more than just putting money in a plate or even clicking and sending money to your app. It's so much more than that. It's easy to press a button. It's easy to put something in a plate. Everything we have has come from God. First of all, we need to remember that. Yes, we give a 10%, but the other 90% is meant to be used for furthering His purposes, His kingdom. That should really shape how we manage what God has given us. Not just money, but our time. Everything we have. How are we using what we've been given to give back to Him? Amen? And then fifth, we can go. Matthew 28, verse 19, we quote it in English as, go therefore and make disciples. And it looks like the word go is a command. But actually in the original language, in the Greek, it would be more like as you were going, the focus is on make disciples. All of us every day are going somewhere. (laughs) How many of you go to work? How many of you go to school? How many of you go shopping? (laughs) How many of you go just go to sleep? (laughs) We're always going and doing something every day. And we're going to encounter people around us all the time. God wants to use us to impact the people that are around us. He might even call you to go to on a short-term missions trip. He may call you. Let, but the whole focus is that we make disciples wherever we go. Amen? This morning, I'd like to invite you to stand if you can. <clears throat> I want to pray, but also want us to respond to that question, have I joined God's journey?